Welcome. This is Bleacher Blums, a sports podcast for baseball fans. Now here's Dave Tuttle and the Astros' master of banter, Blummer. As ready as you'll ever be. As ready as I'm ever going to be, and the bleachers are open. I am Jeff Blum, 14-year Major League veteran, current broadcaster for the Houston Astros. And on the other side, out there on the West Coast, is my good buddy David Tuttle, or as we may call him during this podcast, Mark Cutback Davis. Mark Cutback Davis, baby. Representing, yeah, we've always got some good tees. That's a good one. I like that one. I actually actually got a new one from uh, my good buddy at Ram Shirts. That's impress. And I know you're kind of looking at it going, wait, you're missing part of the word, right? And that is kind of the beauty of it, because when I started saying this on our broadcast, I had to tell the story about Miguel Tejada. So Miguel Tejada is the reason that I, I say some of my words, only partial parts of them, because his name, he, instead of calling me Bloom or Blum or whatever, he called me Blue, never finished a word. The dude never finished an English word. He may have finished the ones in Spanish that I understood, but the English ones never finished it. And uh, one of the things, uh, you know, it, I'd go up there, I'd get jammed like crazy, hit like a 42 hopper to the first baseman, my hands would be stinging, I'd come back pissed. And I'd be like, son of a And he'd come up to me and go, man, Poppy, the way you hit a ball, that was impressed. <laughs> <laughs> he would just make so much fun, but he would say that was impressed. So that's where I came up with that's impressed. And I use it during every once in a while during the broadcast. So trying to bring in some of those ex-Astro guys and some of the stories and some of the personalities. But the best story I've got about, uh, we're on a podcast. So, you know, I'm going to, this will be a little bit of a disclaimer. I can't tell these, this story on air, but I'm going to tell it right here to start this podcast Mm -hmm. off is that when I played with Miguel Tejada, we were in, we were at home in uh, Minute Maid Park. And I think Jose Valverde's coming in to get a save uh, late in the game tight ball game. We're playing about 500 balls. So we're just, you know, scratching and clawing just to win any game we can. And Valverde is getting loose and I'm standing next to Miggy and I'm like, man, Miggy, big game. He goes, I know Poppy. I know. He goes, uh, he goes, you see that girl? I went, what? He goes, Poppy, see that girl up there? I go, what? No, man. I'm trying to focus on the game, dude. He goes, no, Poppy, you got to see this girl. It's amazing. She impressed. I said, all right, Miggy, where is she? (laughs) He goes, in the upper deck. I went, damn it, Miggy. Why are, you, why are you doing that to me, man? He goes, Poppy, you can't see that from here? The one with the big, big ditty? <laughs> and I mean, I was just, I was blown away at how, you know, relaxed and cavalier he was about doing stuff. But I mean, it totally broke me down. I started giggling in the ninth inning. Sure enough, Valverde comes in, gets a ground ball and a punch out. We win the game. We're giving high fives. But that just kind of encapsulates the Miguel Tejada that I got to play with. He was a blast to play with. He loved playing the game, man. How you doing, Tuttle? I'm great. Hey, mo- most ball players are like that, which is funny. I wish I was less. I think maybe being a pitcher, you would get that like adrenaline for that day or that moment. But I wish I was a little bit looser. Uh, so <laughs> many guys were like that. And they were really good at breaking the mood. I played against Tejada for years, it seems like. Yeah, that's right. Coming up, he was – with the A's and Modesto and then in double A we were, he was in Huntsville. Um, and then in um, Mid- Midland is where the uh, A's went to. So I played against him a lot. He was, he was actually a fun guy to play against. And we talk about like guys that you own or guys that own you. He mm-hmm. kept making his way up through the ranks, but I, I actually didn't mind facing him. I actually, I think if I look back, I probably had some nice. success against him, you know, free swinger though. Right. So well, he swings and, and right on right with that movement. You got probably oh, yeah. tied him up a couple of times, you but know. sometimes you just take advantage of free swingers. It was like when somebody yeah. says this guy swings at everything, you know, I guess Vladimir Guerrero would be an exception oh, yeah. and, and probably Tejada for most people. Like, they didn't just swing at everything. They could hit everything as well. You get that 0-2 <laughs> yeah. fastball kind of under their chin and they hit it out. You're like, oh, okay. How did they do that? But, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, it's it's great to have guys like that in the clubhouse. And as you said, I think um, just like they did in the clubhouse, you did that for me here on the podcast. You lightened the mood, loosened <laughs> it up. We've got a, a bunch of fires burning here in uh Oh, man, dude, it California, looks terrible but out there, man. It's, it is, but, you know, it's really apocalyptic, which is appropriate since you finally swayed me to your side about how miserable 2020 is. I mean, every morning we wake up yesterday was like 20 degrees cooler than the day before. It's overcast all day, so it's part smoke and part overcast, oh, and the sun is like burnt orange, and you're like, ooh, 
Like if the world is apocalyptic, but when it looks like it, it, it just reinforces everything, man. You're like, holy. Yeah, it's exactly right. So what a trip. So, but uh, yeah, but otherwise doing well. You said that your kids are back in school. My kids are tiptoeing. are about to put their toe in the water in mm-hmm. the next two weeks. And I think we're going to kind of get them back in school. We're hoping we don't have that, uh, that magic relapse or anything. So Yeah, I know. It's funny talking to my kids who now I have a junior and three sophomores, but they were excited about going back to school. And we talked about it, you know, all the concerns and the risks and you know, they're, they're actually, they said that they're really strict about the social distancing and the mask wearing, which, uh, you know, obviously we applaud the, the ability for the kids to number one, you know, comply and work within the, the limits that they are working within to go to school. And then the, you know, the teachers and everybody at the, and all the faculty that are actually making sure that they're uh, enforcing that, because I think that is the biggest fear is, it's almost, you know, when is it going to happen? How long? What's the over-under? Is it a week? Is it two weeks? Or is it going to be, you know, three days later where somebody just all of a sudden has an outbreak? But the girls, my girls are said that they wore a mask the entire day. The only time they don't is when they're on the court playing volleyball. So I've got four volleyball players. And uh, when they're on the court, they, ha- they don't have the mask on. But if you're waiting to go play and you're on the bench, you have a mask on the entire team, uh, on the entire time. And the coaches also have the masks on too. But um, I'm curious to see how your kids go back and how that goes too, because there is that fear of the spike or that, uh, you know, relapse like you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what we continue to talk about here, but also with, you know, the lack of knowledge we have in the scientific world in general. I mean, it's going to be really interesting to see um, how they control it or how they, you know, maintain it. It's funny. My son's not even that social, but he doesn't love this like online school thing. Like he's dying to get back in school. So um, I think the interaction with the teachers and the other students and having a lunch break and things like that is going to be uh, just, you know, oh. a respite for everybody, you know, parents aside. No, they actually complained about the lunch break. The lunch break, they actually have stickers on the tables in the lunch area and they're going back. And uh, so they're, they're kind of like, well, what was, they were like, we were excited about lunch, but now we got to sit literally six feet apart from everybody. So they're kind of gets a little loud with everybody yelling back and forth. But I think that you'll, you'll actually appreciate this being in California. I don't know how big the school is that your son is going to, but uh, 40% of our school is going back. And I think that's about 1800 kids. Oh, nice. That's actually cool. Yeah. I think we have, I, I don't, it'll be interesting to see the numbers, but let's say, I think the whole high school here is like 20, is it 2200? So if you get that's 50%, big, you're looking at 11. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, like you said, it's not going to be everybody. I already know that. And we have tons yeah. of neighbors that have already moved schools. And I think one of the challenges with elementary school and boy, everybody that tuned into the Bleacher Blums podcast is really thrilled to hear about like Southern California school district rules. But uh, they, I'm like, you're going to another school. And he said, yeah, because they had initially signed up for 100% online. And so you get a teacher online and then if they open it up and you want to go back in, there's no guarantee that you get the same teacher, the same curriculum. I mean, this curriculum can stay close, yeah. but they wanted some continuity for their, their kids are younger than our kids. Um, but they want some continuity where it was like, all right, well, if we're going to go back, can't we just jump right in with that teacher? And they're like, no, 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 not in public school. You either have online, you're in school. And then as they open it up, um, I guess there's no guarantee that the onliners can come in. So they wanted to go somewhere else where they could kind of yeah. uh, have some guarantee. So again, you know, a new frontier every day in the, uh, in the year 2020. And uh, you know, here we go. Yeah. Now that's, and you know what, you, you don't discount the fact that people listening across the country or people listening here in Texas, in comparison to California, there, there's some massive differences between Texas and California. Yeah. And, you know, at a local level, we get to see it a little bit between our kids, your, my kids going to school, your kids going to school, and everybody's got their own stories. So don't ever discount the fact that some, you know, somebody out there listening to this right now is going, oh, that's really interesting. I didn't know that. So, uh, you know, we always right. appreciate the uh, imparting of information. And that's what part of this podcast is too, right? We're just letting people, you know, see through a window into our lives and see what's going on. Because yeah. not only being ex-athletes and, and playing in a professional sport, you know, we also have to go and live our lives and raise children and, and have those experiences that uh, make us a part of the GP now. Uh, now that we're out of sports, but uh, uh, this podcast is going to lie heavily on Tuttle's shoulders because this last week has been absolutely horrific in so many ways on the baseball side for us uh, out here in Houston. The team is playing terribly. 
The bullpen is walking the planet. Uh, the broadcasts are in the studio and they get a little sketchy. Uh, the hours that we're working are freaking ridiculous, man. I know that when we traveled with the team, you know, games would start at nine o'clock in Houston, which was bad for fans. But at the same time, I was in the same time zone as the team. So it made my life a little bit easier. But trying to call the game on in the same time zone as the fans and being you – know, I mean, just getting home at 1, 2 in the morning is awful. And like I said, the kids are going to school, waking up at 6.30 in the morning. And, uh, you know, one of the big differences between California and Texas is the, uh, the master bedroom that is downstairs. It's not upstairs like it is in uh, California. So I hear everything that is going on in the morning, and it drives me nuts. But uh, that being said, Tuttle, man – here it is. It's on your plate. What's on tap? Brought to you by St. Arnold. There you go. What's on tap? So we had a couple of things to talk about today. Um, I wanted to mention uh, Tom Seaver and Lou Brock and get your sights uh, on that. I know I'm a little bit older than you are. My dad had a really good uh, Tom Seaver story. I think when, awesome. uh, when, yeah, when, when uh, Sandy Koufax retired a little bit early, that generation always time. Oh, you got to see, you know, Sandy Koufax yeah. and the generation before him, like Bob Feller, they never had a radar gun for Bob Feller, but man, you couldn't see that ball coming in. So, you know, Tom Seaver was kind of like just playing when I was born and when I was young, but just enough on that fringe where it was like, Hey, watch this guy, uh, Tom Seaver, Steve Carlton, Ron Guidry, some guys like mm-hmm. that, that I saw. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about our thoughts on Lou Brock, Tom Seaver. Um, let's see. Oh, Steve Nash, a uh, Santa Clara alum, as myself. Of course. And uh, yeah, but he got a head coaching job. Of course, that's right. He got a head coaching job. That is big um, news. Yeah, it's big news for a couple of reasons, obviously, and we'll touch on that. One is the fact that he, uh, you know, that he's never been a head coach in the NBA, although, you know, maybe Steve Kerr and him, I saw them conferring and things like that. But uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how that goes. And then there was some pushback again, as there always is, about, you know, interviewing the right candidates for the right jobs and you know some people have paid their dues now again success kind of (laughs) erases all of that stuff and uh we'll see how he does when he jumps in it would be nice if you're going to get your first coaching job and you know maybe one of these days you uh you you get a foray into the coaching uh the realm as well uh but you know to have uh, Kyrie and Kevin Durant as you (laughs) two guys (laughs) that are starting five right like all right you're going to get a head coaching job in the NBA. That's awesome. Who do I got? You're going to take um, this team or this team over here with Kevin Durant and Kyrie. Uh, I'll take that one. So anyway, uh, I thought we'd touch on Steve Nash, Lou Brock, Tom Seaver. Uh, Let's see what else is on tap today. Uh, Well, I have a Weddle Tuttle say, and we'll probably have a Blum's Blast. that will I guess, jump on board with what you were just referencing the season. And then I have a couple questions yeah. for you that we can start out with uh, about broadcasting. So that's what's on tap brought to you by St. Arnold. Sounds great, man. And uh, without further ado, why don't you just uh, lead this thing? Uh, we had our fantasy football draft. I may talk about that on oh. um, Blum's Blast real quick because it's kind of comedic and my team sucks. So we'll go from there. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if your team sucks. I'm just laughing because we, it was, that was the fastest draft I've ever been a part Dude, of. Dude, we set a record. Yeah, we set a record. It was like 40 seconds to pick. I'm like, I don't even know. Where's a sheet? Like, oh, it's time to pick. So anyway, I don't know how good my team is either. Um, and, and every fantasy football draft, we can even start with this. Every fantasy football draft, like you read the prognosticators. I mean, I didn't do a whole lot of research this year and a lot of reading. And now pretty much when you get on there, it lists out their prospects and you kind of line them up with who you like. And, you know, it's pretty easy to get these guys to fall in line. But every draft, they're like, don't draft a quarterback early. And then sure enough, in our draft, like, the guy took Pat Mahomes in the second round, and the next guy took Lamar Jackson, like, right away. Like, Isn't that I'm crazy on a panic button? Dudes. Yeah. I, it's <laughs> the funny – you can do the math. We've done this before. you got to take the emotion out of it. So, yes, the guy with Mahomes is probably going to kick some ass because of Mahomes. But you got to have all the players. So, it'll be really interesting to see how that pans out because every year I'm a little jealous. I get, like, you know – Ben Roethlisberger or Matt Ryan or, you know, or a guy, you know, I got Aaron Rodgers this year. It's kind of like they're saying his fantasy stats aren't good. It's like he has 25 touchdowns and three picks. Like I'll take that. He puts up the numbers. Maybe he's going to throw a few more touchdowns. Yeah. Yeah, Like I know what I'm getting. And and two years ago, he was like the greatest thing walking the earth. And now it's like, they got Lamar and Pat Mahomes and it's like, all right, he's not any good anymore, but it's just so funny. Cause I always end up with that quarterback. Like, you know, (laughs) like, yeah, 
oh, you don't want one of the top five guys, you know? So we'll it's see. It's funny it when that out. happens. You see the quarterbacks going, you're like, I, I, I need a quarterback. What if I don't like, get the. Yeah. I, I want one of those guys. Yeah. You're like, well, if, if I don't get the. I, shoot, somebody took holes. Yeah. And I mean, I ended up getting, I think now that we're talking about it, I mean, I got yeah. Dak Prescott in the sixth round. Which is great. And they Perfect. say he might be the number one fantasy quarterback. So you did it right. When you took well, I him, lucked I out too. Him. I mean, but like you said, you have to be in these leagues where you have somebody that kind of loses their shit a little bit or loses their mind and just sees that clock ticking goes moments. And all of a sudden it's like, what? But yeah, yeah I lucked out in that sense that I did get Dak in uh, the sixth round. I, you know, I thought I was pretty happy with that pick. Yeah. But the rest of your team, you're not so happy with. So we'll all have right, to dude, see. We want to go through that. this. I mean, my first pick, I panicked in the first round and took Julio Jones because I didn't, uh, all the other running backs. And to be honest, you know, in working with you last year, I knew that the running back was a priority. Yeah. And we actually took a flyer on a guy named Josh Jacobs, who was mm -hmm. phenomenal for us. And I like the way he plays. I like his story, too. So I kind of endeared myself to him just because it's a great story. He works hard. Uh, he does, you know, he's, he's physically, he's, in, he's a phenomenal human. But, it, you know, Gruden used him properly. It was uh, great to watch him play. And then I was looking at where I was drafting in that nine spot out of 10 teams. And I was coming back at 12. And I said, okay, I can get a top-tier wide receiver right here in that first pick. And then if I'm good enough and if Tuttle doesn't take him, I can get Josh Jacobs on the return. And it just so happens that you had the two picks in between mine before I got back to my pick. And I ended up getting Josh Jacobs. So my first two picks were Julio Jones and Josh Jacobs. I was pretty happy about that. Yeah, so and then you add Dak Prescott in the sixth round. So you're saying your yeah. team sucks, but I think it's pretty good. I think the depth part is where the fantasy oh, football man, drafts yeah. are made, and I don't have any idea. None of us have any idea. I was really happy because I did stick to – I think I did running back, running back, wide receiver, running back. Like I noticed some of the running backs going later, and I felt a little short at wide receiver. But I was like, look at these guys. I mean, I ended up with anybody with a long number in their back. So I got like Todd Gurley the second. <laughs> Yep. Um, I got somebody else Melvin the Gordon. third. Yeah, that's right. I got Melvin Gordon the third. Uh, <laughs> I got Todd Gurley the second. The difference is, and I got, I know I got Nick Chubb, and Nick Chubb was a good choice, but now that I'm looking at some of the things, so you have Melvin Gordon's going to have Denver's, like they're going to make him the workhorse in Denver, except they have Philip Lindsay, and he's been great. So, yep. And then the Cleveland Browns, I love Nick Chubb. He was on fire two years ago, and then the beginning of last year, and then Kareem Hunt came off uh, – off the uh, suspended list. And then they just signed Kareem Hunt to like a $12 million deal. Yeah, yesterday. I couldn't believe so, that. So I'm looking like, all right, the Browns are going to use everybody. And we hey, know. We, let me ask you a question real quick. Go ahead, who, yeah. has, who got Kareem Hunt in this draft? Uh, that'd be you. So maybe <laughs> we work on that. So you did. Yeah, I know you did not draft him, but that it ended up falling in your lap, I guess. I mean, honestly, I went. Yeah, that's another whole. Oh, my gosh. Well, we could talk about this. Right? They, they're turning out the lights in the studio. Like, come on. Dude, they're, they're kicking me out of the studio. So I had to do. And you know what's funny is I got the text from John Adams like about the seventh inning. And he goes, dude, you're going to be in the in the calling the game and doing your draft at the same time. And I went, that light bulb goes. Boing. Yeah, I went, oh, dang, oh. he's right. <laughs> so I'm sitting there calling the game and I'm going, dude, I got a draft in 20 minutes, man. And all of a sudden, you know, the game ends, I rush out into the pit where uh, all the cubicles are and I'm scrambling to get the, the draft going. I got my, you know, I got Dak Prescott was my last pick before I had, they literally turned the lights out on me and shut the internet off and I had to go, but I put it on auto, auto draft. And I was the guy, I was the first one to draft a defense and a kicker in the draft this year, guys. <laughs> yeah. But they gave you the two best, thankfully. Tucker yeah, but they, that text from you cracked me up, man. I'm driving home and, I, and you're like, you're laughing. You're all, yeah, you got a kicker and a defense. I'm like, son of a. <laughs> Again, just following the rules. It's like, why can't you auto draft, not you personally, but why can't they set up the auto draft to follow the rules of every human being on the planet, which is take best your kicker and your defense in the last few rounds. Yeah. There's always the one guy. The best like, yeah, available. I'm gonna get, yeah. I'm going to get the Niners. I'm going to get the <laughs> Niners defense. Like, dude, I mean, come on. There's a regression to the mean. It's not going to, they're not going to score a lot of points yeah. compared to this defense. And you know, they'll have a buy and you'll have to drop them and get another defense. So I just think <laughs> the whole time. thing's funny, but you know what? It's a, it's a flip of a coin. I will say this. We talked about the injuries in baseball, and this can get us back on track. Is With football, like Kareem Hunt and Chubb we talked about, or Melvin Gordon and Philip Lindsay, you always want that guy to spell your other guy. But it'll be really interesting. I saw um, 
the defensive end from the Broncos yesterday, uh, he's hurt. Um, they thought he oh, might Von need Miller. ankle surgery. Yeah, Vaughn Miller might be out for the season. And so it just kind of, again, light bulb. You had these light bulb moments. Vaughn Miller um, got stepped on or tweaked his Achilles or something, and he needs surgery today, and he's out for the season. But, man, these running backs, if they're not up to game speed, we, we've talked about this a few podcasts in a row with, like, the Verlanders of the world. That's a great question. Pitch, pitching game speed, but contact, full contact football game speed is it's it's on another level and i just think man it's great to have some of these players on your team but i have a feeling there may be a high turnover and many transactions as we uh, head into the i mean all these preseason games were canceled i mean no it's it's a it's actually great that you do talk about that because the preseason games have been canceled i have broncos defense so thank, thank you for the heads up i will now drop them and try and find somebody else uh, maybe running back to fill in <laughs> but Come but on. uh but it's interesting you bring that up because guess what I was watching the other day was the BYU-Navy college football game. And, you know, they were talking about how BYU actually had maybe three more weeks of practice than Navy did. And guess what, man? Dude, I mean, Navy's a good team. Oh, yeah. all of a sudden, the offensive line for BYU was literally just picking guys up and moving them off to the side because they were so, you know, at, they weren't they, – they, it's not any fault of their own, but they weren't in good shape. They weren't up to that contact speed or that contact ability that you're talking about. All of a sudden, they just got manhandled. And I'm with you in the sense that the NFL, it's going to be really curious to see how those first couple of weeks go. Are they going to be protecting themselves a little bit? Are they going to be cautious in making contact until they get that uh, the feel for the impact? Um, and is it going to be the same as baseball where we saw so many injuries to some big-time players, man? Yeah. So I, you know, as far as fantasy football, I mean, just like the rest of 2020, if good things happen, um, great. That's awesome. If, you know, if it goes haywire, then I think it can be expected. So it'll, it'll be really interesting. And I, and I will say that, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I just think the full contact, uh, sport of, uh, of NFL football is going to be different than baseball. And we did see, I mean, I know it's violent arm action with your arm when you're throwing hard and all that, but, I just think that contact's going to – I don't know how they're going to do it with a 53-man roster, if they're going to have a taxi squad as well. I mean, I haven't delved into that, but um, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how you guys have the training facility or the taxi squad and bringing guys up and down just seems to be a little more um, fluid this year. There's a lot more guys making their debut, and it'll, it'll be interesting to see um, you know, how the NFL does that. And let me transition to baseball because I asked about Mike Miner last night because I'm naive and I'm a knucklehead, but – I, I assumed he was an all-star last year with the Texas yep. Rangers. Was it last year? Yeah. And why is he pitching for the Oakland A's? He had like 200 A's? plus like, strikeouts last year. He was phenomenal. Go ahead. Yeah. So why, why is he pitching for the A's this year? What happened? Did they not sign him? Was he a free well, agent? I, I he, was, uh, he, was, he was not pitching very well for the Texas Rangers to begin the season. And uh, if you watch the standings in the American League West, man, there's some bad teams in that division. And – uh, the Texas Rangers are one of them, and they decided to let him go. I know they were trying to trying to trade Lance Lynn, but I think the asking price was a little steep. And the A's knew what Mike Miner did last year and maybe saw something in the mechanics that they wanted to try and tweak and make him a part of the rotation. But uh, he has a six-plus ERA. And the interesting thing, when we were texting each other, because you asked about that, I said, hey, man, this guy in 2017 was throwing 94 miles an hour with the Kansas City Royals. And then the last two seasons with Texas Rangers was throwing 93, maybe 94 topping out, but averaging around 93. And then this season is throwing 90 miles an hour. So there's a pretty big drop off uh, as far as velocity. And then that yeah. cutter isn't working really well inside, but uh, he's been getting hit around a little bit. So that's kind of the kind of the theory behind him but I don't know if it's because of uh you know lack of an off season lack of a spring training or if it's just fatigue even you know from last year I don't know yeah I was just surprised I'm like they trot him out last night and again I'm falling asleep at the wheel like not following transactions but here's Mike Miner. I'm like this guy was dealing last year mm -hmm. and I think what's funny and I don't know if we've ever talked about this and you know this as a hitter and uh being entrenched in the baseball world but when people talk about velocity I, I feel I feel like um, veal like that's velo. Um, I feel like the uh, you know when you're trying to get drafted, you know it's like how many bombs are you hitting? What kind of at bats you have? And as a pitcher, it's like how hard are you throwing? They'll look at the radar gun. Good, we'll teach him the rest of the stuff. When you get in the mm -hmm. big leagues, it's not always about velocity. It's about location and movement. 
um, typically location and movement before velocity. But what I will say, the big telling factor for velo is, is the secondary pitches. People make that mistake, like, dude, a 90 to 91 mile an hour fastball, that's fine. But if you do not have the arm speed and the fingers, you know, in the right spot, then that slider, that cutter that you were saying that he was throwing so effectively, that's where that three mile an hour, three miles an hour makes a yeah. big, big difference because you don't get the bite. It drifts. And well, if and you see that breaking ball coming. <laughs> and that's what I failed to point out is it wasn't just on the fastball. Tuttle right. obviously knowing a little bit more than I do about pitching, so he, he stated it correctly. It's not just the fastball. It's all the secondary pitches too. So you're losing the crispness and the sharpness and that snap and guys are starting to hit it. Yeah, and that's why those stats have become relevant, which are the spin rate and all that stuff. But that's yeah. just for the lay person, like know that velocity, it's like, great, well, he used to throw 93, now he's throwing 91 or 90. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a little difference, but you can still sneak up on people with that. But it's really the secondary stuff. If your arm's not feeling it or you're not getting the extension or the sharpness or the crisp crispness that you mentioned, mm -hmm. that's interesting. Crispness sounds like a holiday, doesn't it? Hmm. Yeah, unless you like crispiness. Yeah. Hey, so my, my turn to jump in again, and I wanted to say I have not been listening to as many Astros broadcasts as I would like, mainly because you guys have been playing the uh, Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim proper and the Los Angeles Dodgers, <laughs> which you did play earlier. So the games are blacked out. I would like to mention the blackout, but I did want to say I noticed something about your broadcast style, and you were mentioning what a rough deal this is. Um, sitting in the studio and not having the uh, energy um, kind of from the fans or being in the stadium, but also being at a later hour, you know, nine, 10 o'clock on the East on the West coast games. You as I, you know, if you have a full day before you get in the booth, regardless of what you're supposed to be doing, like pull yourself mm -hmm. together and get it, get on the broadcast. Um, but yeah, the energy yesterday was really interesting. And I realized it was a double header, but I kind of feel like you've translated the ball player in you into the booth and that may be intentional or unintentional, but um, I don't know. I just always thought you were, uh, you are insightful and you're paying attention. You're in it. And I got on the game yesterday and it was four, nothing in the third inning. And I didn't hear you talk for like 10 minutes. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know if we had to run out of the booth or what's happening. And then as the energy picked up and, you know, obviously you take your lead from TK the energy picked up, you interjected a little bit more, and then they walked in a run. They walked in another run. All right. Like, hey, we haven't got a rally on walks. Yeah. So let me, I'll, I'll throw it to you in one second. I would say it's like that ball player thing, too, though. Ball players are centered, they're trying to keep their emotions in check. We don't want to get too high. We don't want to get too low. There's stuff that's going to happen, things will happen throughout the course of the game. Um, and then we read the game and we go with the flow, you know, Hey, we got a little energy. Let's get the guys up and whatnot. But I noticed that in your broadcast style, I'd like to know a couple things. One is that intentional, um, is there, uh, less of effect, um, on your broadcasting or more of an effect on your broadcasting based on being in the studio and, and the late hour and things like that. And then, you know, is it compiled with actually the way the Astros are playing? Cause I always felt like you're pretty good. Like watching a broadcast, we shouldn't really know if they've won 10 games in a row or lost 10 games in a row. We want to be in the moment and watch the game. And I think you do a good job of that. What say you, Mr. Blum? So, so there's, there's been, there. yeah, well, it's been a tough week too. I mean, if you've been watching the Astros, I think they've won one of their last, you know, seven or eight. I mean, it's been abysmal and I get frustrated because I'm a hitter. And I watch the team go out there and score six runs, and I see the bullpen give up the lead. So I get frustrated, and I, and I am moody. I'm emotional. And I do let those things affect me even when I'm calling games. And sometimes it comes out in excitement when th good things happen. Uh, you know, I try and get as excited when the other team makes a great play or makes a pitch in a key situation. But at the same time, you know, I am – I may not be an absolute homer for the Astros, but I'm an, I'm an Astro fan when I'm calling these games. So I get a little bit moody and I do shut down a little bit when I get frustrated. And, you know, and I've also kind of put it on myself to have the idea, you know, I'm pro player uh, in every sense, but at the same time, if, if you screw up, I'm going to say something, you know, Miles Straw didn't tag up on a ball the other day. And I said something, uh, if Altuve makes a mistake on a ground ball, I can tell you why. And if it's, if it's obvious, you know, because I still have to maintain my integrity yet be, you know, pro Astro and pro player. But at the same time, when I, I've kind of made it a mission of mine, if I don't have anything productive to say 
I ain't going to say nothing. And there are certain situations with, you know, pitchers that are in the game or matchups with a hitter at the plate that, you know, I mean, when, gosh, what's the, I think Sean Murphy is the catcher's name. When Sean Murphy is facing, you know, Umberto Castellanos, I, I don't know what to bring to the table because these guys have both been in, you know, double A ball or A ball. And then all of a sudden they're in the show and I'm watching guys fire baseballs all over the place until they throw a strike. And I'm kind of like, bro, man, you know, I could sit here and go, this guy doesn't belong. That guy doesn't belong. You know, I don't, but I don't want to do that. I understand how hard this game is and maybe because they don't belong here now doesn't mean they don't belong here later. But the reason I pull back is because I don't want to, you know, what's that, you know, open my mouth and say something stupid. I don't want to open my mouth and say something derogatory. I'd rather just kind of let the game unfold. And if something gives me an opportunity to talk, I will talk to it. And then you add the studio aspect onto it. I'm not in the, I'm not in the stadium. I can't feel the mood. All I've got is this dead zone that I'm sitting in and, you know, I've got, you know, it, it's bad. The studio situation is bad. It sucks the life out of you when things aren't going well or you don't have a good game to call or you're not seeing the right angles that you want to see. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. You know, it's funny. I mean, my, my mom raised me with that, right? If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. So, I mean, your broadcasting mentality is very simple and straightforward. <laughs> you know, if I don't have anything nice to say, why say it? And, and, mm-hmm. and I think to your point, you took it a step further, productive, really. It's got to be productive. Are you adding to the broadcast, especially, and I've, you know, since we've been doing this podcast, paying a little bit more attention about how, you know, how I can articulate things and be a little more brief or pay mm-hmm. attention. And I realize a radio broadcast is completely different than a television broadcast. Like, hey, you can see the same damn things I can see. So mm-hmm. if I don't need to add anything to that, then I won't. And, that's actually, I mean, I you, that's, you, that's a great point that you have to take the medium into account where in radio, you can kind of dress things up or, uh, you know, stretch things out a little bit and be a little more expansive, but I can't get off script man, because the fan is seeing what I'm seeing. Yeah, exactly. Um, about the mile straw thing, not to get into the weeds. I watched that and I, I, I think I have a pretty good idea about how to run the bases, but in a scenario like that, and you know, Luriano has a decent arm you're not really sure where he's going to throw that ball in the sense that, I mean, I know Oakland's a crevasse and it's huge out there. And, you know, I'm, and we watch Brantley tag up and go second to third inning prior, I believe. So I'm paying attention. Right. So I can see it. Um, But Loriano, you know, he threw behind him in that scenario, but was there a thought for Miles? I mean, we all brain fart. It's kind of like how many times have you done that run from second to third with the ground ball in front of you? And the guy's like, no, don't do it. You run into that out of third. Like that's the one they always beat into your head. Um, I know it was a brain fart. I know it was an error. Miles Straw probably went kangaroo court and probably apologized as well. But what what was going through his mind, do you think? Or do you just say, okay, that's a brain fart. He's not paying attention. Oh, I know for a fact and that the scouting okay. report says Laureano has a great arm. It's actually a yep. really good arm. That's the one thing, you know, as far as catching the baseball and fielding, he's not that good. He's mm-hmm. a little sketchy at times, but right. he has a but very good arm, arm once he gets it. But to your point, Michael Brantley is not Miles Straw in the speed department. So right. if I'm Miles Straw and I'm gauging this whole situation on Michael Brantley, I'm going, Psh, dude, I'm tagging up and getting there. And right. wouldn't we all like to err on the side of aggressiveness too? I think you got to force – if you have the speed of Miles Straw, you have to force the defense to make a play because there's a lot of things that have to happen. Laureano has to catch it. He's got to make a throw. The third baseman's got to catch it, and then he's got to plant the tag. All Straw has to do is tag up and run, slide into third. So I mm-hmm. think that, you know, it, it kind of lends itself. It would take a great play to get him. And if it takes a great play to get you – that means the defense has to make a perfect play. So why not force the issue? That was the only thing I was thinking. And Loriano threw to second base because he was giving third base to uh, Miles Straw. Oh, yeah. He didn't expect him not to go. Yeah, no, that's right. I, I, I agree. And that's, I mean, that's the stuff you learn and you can read the inning before, but there was nobody behind him either. So that was first and third. You're thinking, mm-hmm. hey, I mean, Loriano probably actually made the right decision because if he throws the third yeah. and it's a bang, bang play, the guy from first tags up goes to second. Now it's second and third and one out. And now you're putting yourself in a tougher position. So I'm sure Loriano actually used his brain and said, you know what, I'll throw behind him. That way, if one moves up and one scores, then we're mm-hmm. still in this position. So anyway, a little. And maintain a little, the double play in order, you know, that kind of situation yeah. too, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, from a fan, maybe a little more than a fan watching it, I realize he completely screwed up. You did a good job of 
pointing that out without burying him. And, yeah. uh, and I think Thank that you. was my whole point about the broadcast thing is like, yeah, you're a little bit of a fan. You're a little bit of a, um, uh, well, you're not just a little bit of an employee of the Astros. You are an employee of the Astros. So that has to come through, but if you're not genuine and you're not authentic, um, you know, it's gotta be really hard to be an Astros broadcaster at this point. As you said, they just keep giving up games late. Um, and, uh, and you know, what, what can you bring to the table? Yeah. Um, I see some of the people on Twitter that follow our <laughs> podcast and the games and they're, they're not nearly as measured as you are at this point. So no, yeah, no, yeah. It's, it's been, it's been interesting. And I do appreciate the fans being able to respond like that though. It's been interesting yeah. to say the least. Yeah. All right. Well, I hate to keep throwing stuff at you. My, uh, conversation off air with you is a little bit about the blackouts. I mentioned it already. My daughter keeps saying, Hey, are the Astros on tonight? And I'm like, uh, well, they're on, but they're playing the Dodgers or the Angels, so we're not allowed to get on TV and watch them. And she's like, well, why is that? And I said, well, there's this archaic rule back in the day that was started by the NFL. It's blackouts. It has to do with revenue. And, has to, and I'm like, by the time I get done, I'm like, but right now we can't go to the friggin' stadium. So if we can't go to the stadium for <laughs> yeah, the coronavirus, right. what are they doing? Like, wouldn't they want more eyeballs on the game? I think we talked about this 10 podcasts ago saying, hey, how are we going to get – Before the know, season be in started, the... you said, why don't they just lift it? Yeah, well, but also that – not just lift it, but we thought this would be a, a, a place to capture some audience for baseball fans. Be like, hey, yep. there's nothing to do. Let's turn on baseball. And we've talked about how well golf has done. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on the blackout since you – may or may not have any insight, but I thought it was strictly a revenue thing saying, hey, look, the NFL, if you live in the area of the stadium, we want you to come down, pay you know, 100 bucks for your ticket or 200 bucks for your ticket and buy a couple beers and hot dogs and uh, be in the stadium with us. And now we don't have that opportunity during coronavirus, but the blackouts are everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So blackouts are stupid in the year 2020 because already MLS, NBA, PGA, uh, NFL, Major League Baseball, you cannot go to a game. They have mandated there will be no fans in the stadium. So guess what? Everybody wants to watch it on TV. Lift the freaking blackouts. My gosh. I, I don't get it. If there was ever a year to just give the fans, a, throw them a bone and say, hey, check out baseball. Come and watch the game like Tuttle Sand. You know, really, you know, Propaganda, you know, propaganda at its best is getting it out to the, as many people as you can. <laughs> so why not lift it? The other thing is, is if you are going to have, okay, let's just ignore 2020 because it's stupid. There's rap blackout restrictions. I don't want to bury it. You know, it, it, it's pretty obvious how course, I feel. Yeah. So let's go to 2021. Fans are getting in the stands. Things are you know slightly getting back to normal. Why are blackout restrictions like for three states? Who gives a shit? Nobody in Vegas is going to a Dodger game. Let them watch the game. How about we get, How about we have a 50-mile radius? Say, say people will actually drive an hour, maybe two hours to go watch a baseball People aren't going to drive two hours to go watch a baseball game. Maybe people will drive an hour to go watch a baseball game. Why not make that blackout area 50 miles, 60 miles outside the radius of the stadium? And if anybody else outside that radius wants to watch the game, Hey, plug on in, enter your password, and watch the game, or turn on the tube and, and, and watch the game. I don't understand it. The, those things need to be fixed because it is about getting the people in the stands and people outside that 60 to 70-mile radius, they're maybe make a weekend out of it and come down and watch a game, but you want them to continue to be fans, and that's how you create loyalty. That's exactly right. So outside of 2020, I would agree, this is something that they need to reassess. Just like cell phone plans used to be like, you buy your phone and then it was this, and now it's all data and it's monthly. Like you, here's yeah. a free phone, just pay us every month, pay us your hundred bucks or whatever. So I, I just feel like that they've got to reevaluate the business model. Here's a good example, and you can relate to this being in SoCal. Guess what? Dodger Stadium is probably 60 miles from my house. Petco Park is probably like 70 miles from my house. Um, you were talking about that radius. It, easier to get to San Diego. That's traffic-wise. <laughs> yeah. That's fine. But guess what I can't do? I cannot watch a Dodger game at my house. It's blacked out. I can get on a Padre game anytime I want because San Diego is not in Orange County. Isn't that so crazy? go figure. That doesn't make any friggin' sense. So Dodgers are blacked out. Angels are blacked out. 
But I mean, we live closer to San Diego. I mean, you used to play for San Diego and live in San Clemente. I mean, yeah, it was an easier drive easy. for me to go to San Diego than LA. Way easier to drive, especially at noon. Like, dude, I'm going to go down <laughs> the stadium by two o'clock, just get in your car at noon and go down there. I mean, it doesn't make so again, just another that actually kind of helps prove the, the point. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's like I, I can listen to the Astros game. Guess what? I'll put on the Padre game. It's right down the street, but I'll just put it on, watch the Padres, you know? Yeah. Now you got to listen to Mark Grant, you know? Jeez. <laughs> but, you know, that's all. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. I like Mark a lot. He's good people, um, actually. Yeah, no, and that's why I said it. But, but you know, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. So, people, let's figure out the blackout oh, rules man. for all these sports. I mean, I, 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 with fantasy coming up here, fantasy football, I loathe to kind of figure out what the NFL yeah. teams are going to do. I'm sure they're, I mean, are they going to have blackout restrictions? You know, you can't go to the games. So, oh, I mean, man. There's two brand new stadiums in the league too, between Vegas and LA, Ooh. and you can't even go to them. So, why wouldn't yeah. you lift the blackouts and let people see the stadium from a distance and go, "Ooh, I want to go watch a game there." You know, exactly. that's what I don't get. I mean, oh, just man. entice them a little bit. Oh. Seriously, yeah. Well, why why wouldn't you let a couple of guys in cool T-shirts run the whole thing instead of these suits that are all you know tightened up, man? Yeah. The Roger Goodell theme, like he's going to show up in a sport <laughs> coat in his basement. Like, put on a T-shirt, man. Let's go. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. So, do I want to bring Waddle Tuttle saying by myself here? Today yeah, bring it. Do you, what? Do you? Right. I mean, use yourself in the third person and just say, put yourself yeah. on a T, and then there you go. <laughs> Tuttle is now going to bring in my favorite segment of the show and the thing that carries the show. <laughs> As you see, Waddle Tuttle, Tuttle, you know Tuttle. he's been doing his back exercises, man, from carrying every every show. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> no, I'm go. trying to. My arm hurts because I'm trying to pat myself on the back. Yep. So, um, what Kill topic it. do I have? Um, oh, I got. I do have a topic. I wrote it down. I stole it. Now, mind you, but it, it's gonna it's gonna include both of us. So, the topic today is really interesting to me. Uh, I've been reading The Athletic more regularly. I brought up something last time um, that was relevant to an article I read about the, uh, about the Hawkeye technology. Um, there was an article this week, and I never write down the author. I feel terrible. But it was, it was basically Would You Rather, right? The old game, Would You Rather. Uh, would you rather have Randy Johnson or Ooh. Greg Maddox? And you play Ooh. with Greg Maddox. And I have – it's so great because I, I should have written down some of the stats. I have a pretty good memory with stuff. But – Basically, it took Maddox has had a 22-year career. Randy Johnson had a 23-year career. I mean, they're both Hall of Famers. Maddox's ERA for the last 20 years of the 20 years in the middle. So Maddox's ERA was like 3.19, and Randy Johnson's was 3.23. So you're looking at 3.19, over 22, 23 years. Um, they had the my favorite stat because all these new stats. They had the ERA plus. Mm-hmm. They were both in the 120 range there, like one's at 125 and one's at 127 for the ERA+. Oh, plus. Wow. Yeah, I mean, crazy numbers. And then, let's see, there was one other statistic in there that was crazy. Um, well, Randy made more all-star teams. It was like Maddox was kind of just the, the, like the blue-collar guy, right? He made like eight all-star teams. Wasn't flashy, one, yeah. Yeah, he won eight all-star games and, um, and four Cy Youngs, and Randy was like 10 all-star games and, and five Cy Youngs. So, you know. That's the way it goes. But who would you rather start your team with? Who would you rather have had like career wise? And um, I instantly thought Greg Maddox, but part of that being an ex pitcher was um, I don't have a great imagination in the sense that I think people always like, you know, man, it would have been great to be Wilt Chamberlain, you know, seven foot two and weigh, you know, 300 pounds and like just, you know, knock people out of the way and dominate the game. Like, that's kind of more like Marvel comics. That was like, you know, and I kind of put Randy Johnson in that category. You know, Randy Johnson was like, dude, six ten. He had no idea where the ball was going. He could throw it a hundred. And, you know, regardless, I don't think his velocity was always the highest, but man, when you're six ten and you can reach all the way out, like it's like, that's what it felt ball. like. That's exactly yeah. what it felt like. Yeah. Right. Here's the view here. I'm going to let go yeah. of the ball. Now you swing. I mean, so it didn't even matter how hard he was throwing in the sense that how much time did you have to recognize oh. the pitch and then take a whack at it, right? So mm-hmm. um, you, you could have done the John Cruck if you weren't a switch hitter. Just get in the right-hand <laughs> side, you're fine. But just turn the, turn helmet, the helmet around, around and get in there. But, but I guess what my thought was initially, and, I, and of course this is why I'm bringing it up for what will Tuttle say, is that Greg Maddox is your everyman. You played with the guy you know. And it's just the appearance that, man, this guy can do this. 
and it gave me hope. And I wish I had used my brain a little bit more to kind of, um, instead of thinking, hey, my athletic ability is going to keep carrying me through, I could have used a little Greg Maddox's brain. Gosh, yeah. Maybe with with a little brain transplant or a little lobotomy there, I might have been able to kind of make my career a little more of what it could have been and or be a little more like Greg Maddox. Whereas I think most guys, Randy Johnson was like, you know, he was like, he was a unicorn. It was like, yeah, I can't be Randy Johnson. I'm not going to be 6'11 and throw 100 miles an hour from the left side. It's just not going to happen. So I say Maddox, but mainly because even when I was playing and, you know, obviously I know a bunch of guys that played with him. uh, It just, um, it just kind of gives me hope and maybe some sort of, that regular guy mentality that, man, there are guys out there that have, you know, superhuman brains or superhuman ideas or superhuman confidence that can get things done. But maybe some of that can rub off on me or some of that can rub off on my kids. And I can say, look, you can Mm -hmm. do this. No. Yeah. I mean, as far as talent wise, Randy Johnson is the most talented, you know, if you love the Marvel comment, Marvel Comics comment because, you know, Randy Johnson, maybe not in appearances, but he was Thor. You know, he had this just unbelievable, you know, stature and build and talent. And all of a sudden you got Maddox, who's Ant-Man, who, you know, needed a special suit to compete with everybody. And he went out there and figured it out, manipulated it. But he was way more creative. Uh, And I also think he was a little more fearless. You know, he had to be fearless to be able to throw some of that stuff in the zone and and get guys out. You know, he could (laughs) – you know, Randy Johnson, was he fearless? No, he was 6'10", letting go of the baseball 10 feet out in front of home plate and just yelling at people. And yeah. I'm biased because I played with Greg Maddox, who I know is a phenomenal dude. Uh, I, I still have his phone number. We text every once in a while. So I, I, he's a good dude. And everything so I've you about, have to say Greg Maddox. No, yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, because if he's listening, I'm going to get ripped. No. That's right. <laughs> or, no, or he's no. going to stain one of my – that's the guy he is. Yeah. yeah, or he's going to stain one of my sanitaries and leave it in my locker. <laughs> but, you know <laughs> – but, you know, Randy Johnson was just a hyper-competitive guy. So it's like, what do you want? They're both hyper-competitive. They both handled it differently, and they had different stuff. But yet, I think it's amazing that you can actually make the argument that, you know, being a power pitcher is a plus, being a, being a finesse guy is a plus, because when at the end of their careers, both their numbers, you know, are two or three points off of each other. I think that's amazing, other than the strikeout numbers. Now, Greg Maddox probably in that same amount of time through – maybe a thousand less pitches. So his arms yeah. in better shape because he wasn't striking everybody out. But I think it's fascinating that two d- completely different styles during the same era got very similar results. Well, I mean, you, you hit the key stat that I didn't write down. They talked about strikeouts over those 20 years. And then they talked about walks to those 20 years. They're like Maddox <laughs> yeah, walks true. like 48 guys in 10 year span. <laughs> You know, Unbelievable, and, man. yeah, but he struck out, you know, out of, they had like 15,000 hitters or something like that. You know, he struck out like, I don't know, 300 of them or 5,000. I can't remember the number, but it was a really low number compared to, you know, Randy Johnson who struck a ton of guys out, but of course his walks, you know, for that same <laughs> amount of time. So yeah. the statistics are there, like you said, at the end of the day, and, and this kind of proves our overall point about baseball and heart and grit and, you know, just being a professional athlete in general, these two guys polar opposite did it completely differently. And at the end of the day, anybody would welcome them on their team and anybody would welcome those stats into their clubhouse. And look, they ended up after 22 and 23 year careers, almost identical, which is so funny because they did it so differently. And, um, you know, I mean, I guess with many of the guys we talk about, Vladimir Guerrero, you know, god-given talent and he you know hit everything and had a cannon for an arm versus you know maybe some guys like Biggio that had to work at it and play multiple positions and you know figure things out and tighten the strike zone and get hit by pitches and you know they did it differently but they both ended up at the same place um in the hall of fame and i think uh anyway it was kind of a cool article and kind of a neat uh thing to um i guess foster a discussion it'd be fun to I hope they continue to do articles like that. It'd be fun to see some other guys like that, where they put the stats, you know, kind of like you guys do, who is, who, who's that Astro or whatever, yeah. you know, who are these guys put their careers up and say, who are these Oh man, guys? who would you rather have? Yeah. yeah. But like you said, you know, would you rather? Yeah. 
But uh, that's good stuff. And you know what? We killed Blum's Blast uh, earlier in the uh, podcast because we jumped on the fantasy football bandwagon and told you that we uh, have divorced ourselves from each other and had to make our own picks. Mine went a little sideways after a while with my with my ability to auto-draft, and I picked up a badass kicker in defense in the seventh and eighth rounds. <laughs> so we tried to salvage that, but it's been a good podcast. Tuttle, I want you to go home and I want you to ice a little bit and maybe get, you know, some back exercises and gauge that core because you carry this podcast. You did a hell of a job the last couple of podcasts, man. Thank you. I appreciate it. You're very complimentary. You always say I carry the podcast, but I think the one thing that uh, we have, I've learned over this is that I certainly couldn't do this by myself. And, uh, and I really like that you, uh, that you and I have been really consistent at this and uh, I appreciate the compliment, but man, you know, I couldn't do it without you, as they say, I couldn't do it without you. Yeah, you probably could, but I'm just glad I'm able to facilitate it and take you along on the ride. It, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, it's been another great podcast. We hope everybody enjoys it and has a good time. Uh, keep cheering for baseball. We're, we're in the uh, closing stretch in baseball. It's unbelievable to think that uh, I think we actually might have under 20 games to go to, till the end of the season. Uh, some of these playoff races are tightening up, and there's good times ahead, hopefully some better baseball too. I will try and increase my, my mood via maybe some enhancers that nobody knows about during the podcast. We'll be listening for that. Uh, we'd like to thank all of the first responders, all the frontline uh, people, and all the essential workers out there. We appreciate you greatly. And again, all thoughts and prayers for everybody out there in California, all the firefighters that are just rushing into harm's way and sacrificing themselves for the betterment of California to get it back in, uh, back in form. Because that's one of the things that uh, I don't miss about California is fire season. It's insane, and it happens every year. It's amazing they don't have a way to uh, suppress this at times. But uh, keep fighting. Keep doing the, doing what you can, and we appreciate you greatly. And I guess all those firefighters out there, guess what they got to do, Tuttle? Yeah, get after it and believe it. We'll see you guys next week.